0: Uh, from some prior works that he's done. I uh, am glad that he has a life of faith and he's pursuing God in whatever kind of dimensions and uh, denominational efforts that he's connected with. But I want to grab a hold of what he said right at the end of that interview. I dabbled in born-again Christianity in the mid-'80s. I was a born-again Christian for a while, but I'm back to the Catholic Church now. Are you dabbling in something of a religious, spiritual nature, and how is it going if you are? Because I tell you this, if you're just dabbling, it ain't going to work out for you. And if you're focused on the idea of, well, I did the born-again thing, did the Catholic thing, you know, and you name any other church, or I did this or did that, I want to rewrite the script in your life during this series And have you rethink what this life of faith is all about. Called and committed. A pathway of disciple making. Because you see, Jesus Christ did not come to establish the Catholic Church. Jesus Christ did not come to establish the Christian and Missionary Alliance that we are a part of. Jesus Christ did not come to make you uh, sit in church on a Sunday morning. Jesus Christ is not interested for mostly in what type of badge you wear or what you're dabbling in here or there. Jesus Christ is interested in one thing. He's interested in you becoming his disciple. Many times I have to reckon with this as a pastor, and I've been a pastor now for 35 years. It's sobering for me to recognize it, but I have to deal with it, and I'm dealing with it in this series. Is that a lot of people are just pew sitters, seat sitters, however you want to describe it, church-going, nice, moral folks, but they've never become radical, if you will, in their interior being and in their life concerning being a disciple of Jesus. And if I had never crossed the line of faith and choosing to be a disciple of Jesus because He has chosen me, that I don't know if I'd be sitting where you're sitting this morning even, let alone, I guess, being up here, right? Because the Christian faith is not about all the exteriors that we get so caught up in and measure one another by. At the heart of the Christian faith is this radical relationship with someone who's out to change the world. You know, we pray for uh, the tragedy with uh, hurricane harvey and what's happening in in the texas area today right now this very moment there's people out on search and rescue operations and they're looking for people who are drowning and part of me thought well how important is what we're doing here today maybe we ought to just all sign up get in a couple buses and head south and try to help right But then I realized to myself, no, what we're talking about here today and what we're leading off with is as important, if not more important, than even something like that because we are in search and rescue operations related to individual lives, even your life here this morning, your friend's life, your neighbor's life. And Jesus, that's why he came into this world, was to seek and to save those who were lost. That is a search and rescue operation, is it not? And what he does is he calls you and I into that operation he calls you and I into a grand adventure and if you've never moved past the whole church going thing or just sort of clocking in clocking out dabbling in a little bit of this dabbling in a little bit of that, I that I'm, I'm just pleading with you in this series wake up come out of your comfort zones and get in on the action because Jesus is calling you and I to an adventure I am not A person who would traditionally climb a mountain. My son is. Some of you are. But if you are going to go on a journey up a mountain, you are probably going to take one of these. A backpack, right? And you're going to put on the backpack and you are going to, and my son said to me as I borrowed his backpack for this morning, he says, Dad, don't look like a kook. And I said, I will probably look like a kook. I am sorry. You're going to strap on a backpack and you're going to take an adventure. And you're going to probably, more often than not, not go by yourself, but you're going to go with some other people. So I'd like to call up a couple people here this morning and we're going to go on this adventure. This little total impromptu. I would like to call up a person who I know goes on backpacking. He has many of these, and that's Joe Kai, Dan, Kai Tan, Would you come up, Joe? <laughs> all right, Joe. Because I want to pick people that I know that do this. So we're going to go on this adventure as a team. You didn't know you were coming up, did you? Yeah. Are you okay? Yes. All right, all right. I'm going to have you do something here in a second. It's just sort of a – uh, don't worry about it. It's just we're going to frame up discussion. And I did talk to this person right during turning greet. I would like uh, Sarah Hooper to come up. Sarah is a nurse. And I think I would like to have a nurse on my team. <laughs> right? I think this is pretty good. All right? So we got Sarah Hooper here. And we got Joe Guy Tan. I want you guys to do something for me, though. We're, we're going to pick teams. Okay. I want you to pick a team. Okay. I want you to pick a team. Okay. Five people each. All right? You got that? Okay. So you're going to get five people each. Now, these are people. And, again, don't worry about this. It's just sort of framing up where we're heading. We're going to head up a mountain. I don't know, maybe Colorado, a 14,000 uh, peak or one or whatever, right? Uh, something. And I mean, we've got a long journey to go here. Good. And I want you to know that on this journey, it's just not about getting to the top. It's also there's going to be stations along the way. There's going to be things you're going to have to accomplish and do, maybe a little scavenger deal here or there. I don't know. I want you to find, I'm serious on this, I want you to find five people. You pick them. In this congregation, in this body here this morning, that you want on your team because you're going to compete against one another to get up this mountain. So who would you pick if you had to pick five people? You may know them. You may not know them. All right. Think in terms. It may not be the strongest, most brilliant people. Um, the strongest, most uh, uh, str- uh, powerful people experience. It may be somebody who's smart and brilliant and can figure things out. It may be someone that's medically minded. All right. It may be someone that is creative and how to's. I, I don't know. So you go and pick your people. So we'll go one at a time and you can call out the names. All right. So uh, Sarah, ladies first. All right, so Lynn's coming up. We've got a couple nurses. We're good to go here. Joe. John. John. is Charties? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you like, John? Because he's a backpacker. Oh, he's a backpacker. All right, John, come on up. You're up here. You're good. All right, Sarah, you got another person you're picking here. Who are you picking? Mm-hmm. I think I will go with Frank. Frank. Frank's pretty, I got with yeah, really pretty Frank's one of those, uh, what is that martial arts stuff you do, man? Yeah, I mean, he's going to do it. Do you mountain climb, Frank, or not? You hike can do that. Well, you're good. All right, Joe, you got another person you're Josh picking. 16. Josh Axine from the sound booth. All right. So Josh is on your team. All right. Now you're competing against one another, so think through this. These, you're going to go on a journey with these people. All right? All right, Josh Axine's up here. Sarah. Okay. All right. All right. Who do I got? Miner. Miner, our football coach man here. All right. I mean, mine are just, he he just looks the, he looks the bill, doesn't he? All right. Whoa, we got, we got a good tease going here. All right. Joe, you got it? My wife. Your wife. Oh, good call. Good call. But she goes backpacking with you. She, she's your sidekick. Does she keep you safe? All right. She keeps you safe. Those kinds of, and mentally stable. That's important on a trip. If we're going up the mountains, mentally stable, Sharon. All right. Thanks. Last pick here. All right, your team of five. Who's going with you? Picking, picking, picking. Who are you picking? Think through it. It's all right. Wisdom, strength, ability, competence, experience. I don't know. Right now? No, I need them to come up right now. No, no. It's here. It's us. It's us. This is sort of the parking lot, all right? And we're at the trailhead, and we're going to make this decision. Who's going to go on the trail with us? I got it. I got all right. It. I'm going to go with Adriana. Because she can spiritually guide us. Adriana. All right. She's going to hold you together spiritually. There we go. That's great. Adriana, do you have any backpacks? Do you, uh, do, you do this stuff? No. No. Oh. I know was the answer there. All right, Joe, you got your last pick. Bob. Bob. Oh, big Bob, man. All right, so you got you got a pretty good team going there. You guys got a great team going there. Now, what we're gonna do is um, we're gonna have to uh, get ourselves ready because this is a journey, and you're going to come together on this journey through thick and thin. You're going to get to know one another. You're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly in this kind of journey, right? Now, uh, these are your teams. Doesn't this look like a great group of people here, right here? All right. We are one short. You're supposed to pick five. You need one more, one more, one more. Yes, five in addition to her. All right. You got to pick a youth. How about this? We're going to pick a youth. Each of you have to pick a young person. Somebody in the youth. Somebody in the youth. All right. All right. Who's in the youth? <laughs> Levi's over here going, hey, pick me. I don't know about that. That might slow you down a little bit, buddy. <laughs> all right. Who, who we got? We got our youth over here. You guys want to go hiking? Come on. What's the deal? Sam, you're all right. Uh, we'll let Joe go. Pick a youth. Kiana. Kiana, all right. Kiana's up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here you go, Pixar. I know. I'm thinking about it. I was thinking about it. Well, I think since Joe got his wife, I think I'll go with my son because he's pretty All right, we'll do that. We'll do that. Gavin, you're up here, buddy. You better be helping your mom out. This isn't good. All right. Now. All right. What you have. You guys can come together here a little bit. I won't make you wear the backpack. This this is a great group of two teams. Together, there are how many people? Twelve. Jesus Christ, he picked how many people? Twelve. Originally, he picked twelve. And they went on... Something much more significant than a backpacking journey. Now, here's my question to you folks out there. Any of you bothered that you didn't get picked? Now, I know some of you are like, no, I would, rather, I would rather just sit here and not have to go up in front of people. I know some of that's you. But now think about it. How many of you are bothered a little bit you didn't get picked? Maybe you say, well, maybe they don't know me. All right, that kind of thing. Have any of you ever been in a situation where there were teams divided up and they started picking people, and as they were picking people, it got further down the road, and you got worried because you were afraid you were going to be the last person picked? Well, there was a selection process here. Sarah and Joe, they picked their teams. To go on this journey, and you didn't get picked. There's some sadness to that. Sorry, guys. You can talk to them afterwards what their problem was with you. Maybe you weren't flexing your muscles enough, maybe something. But you're not a part of this group. This is a special group. You guys are ordinary, normal people. Now, you ordinary, normal people, would you give these folks a round of applause for thanking them to come up? And you guys can both be seated. Thank you. (laughs) I was always worried I'd get picked last sometimes. I was real scrawny and little when they divided up teams when I was playing ball. I want you to know this. The Christian faith is not about church going and keeping your act together. The Christian faith is about strapping on the backpack and going on a journey with Jesus Christ. A journey that lasts not only a lifetime, but lasts for eternity. Jesus is about calling people to be committed to Him to become His disciples. Have you ever chosen to answer his selection of you to be a disciple? You see, the word disciple is all over Scripture. But it's a very, um, what can I say, challenging term for us to understand because it's a little bit different in our culture today. We do not um, use the term disciple outside of the Christian world. But in the New Testament times, disciple was used all over the place. People were a disciple. They were a disciple of, uh, uh, of somebody who was maybe an apprentice in training for a trade. So you were a disciple for that trade. Maybe they were uh, a, uh, a student of some subject. And so you were a disciple of that subject. Maybe or you were a pupil of some teacher. And so you were a disciple of that teacher. The idea of a disciple was sort of commonplace. In fact, um, the, the verb disciple... Um, is used 25 different times in the New Testament, six times in the Gospels. But the noun disciple is used 264 times solely in the Gospel and the book of Acts. A disciple was a common understanding of day. There were people who were disciples of Moses, which means that they were disciples of the Mosaic law. They would learn the law of the Old Testament. Or they were disciples of the Pharisees. Okay, which was uh, the people who were astute in the spiritual knowledge of of how to to keep uh, obedience to the Torah, the Old Testament uh, rules and, and what was written by the Jewish people. So when Jesus shows up on the scene and Jesus starts to pick and choose people, he called them to be disciples. And that wasn't something necessarily strange, except for this. Jesus did not call disciples to be disciples of his teachings. He called them to be disciples of himself. You see, in Jewish tradition, uh, somewhere between the ages of six and ten, you would send your, uh, your young boys in your household away uh, to sit underneath a rabbi. And you could pick. It's just sort of like us picking our college day. What college are you going to go to? I'm going to go to this college. I'm going to go to that college, right? You would sort of pick. So you would sit down and you would pick what rabbi you would like your little boy to go and sit underneath. And he would learn, and he wasn't allowed to actually look at the Scriptures outside of being underneath that teacher. And as he was underneath that teacher, the hope was that he would do really well, you know. He would sort of get it down, and, and he, would, he would study. And, and they, would, they would then pick. They would pick the best kids to be their disciples. So if you were the low class or you weren't making the cut on your grades, you didn't get picked to be a disciple of that rabbi. In fact, even being the initial 6 to 10-year-old, that didn't mean anything really because you know they would get that group and then they would put them in training and they would have to learn and read and they would have to take tests. And then they would have their final test somewhere around the age of 15 or 16. And at the age of 15 or 16, the rabbi then picked his few, his few excellent boys that would come alongside of him and he would teach them. So that hopefully someday then they would turn around and teach and they would become rabbis too. What happened to the kids that didn't get picked? They just sent them on home. They sent them on home. Mom and dad got them back in the house and they went, oh, well, I guess you didn't make the cut. And so hopefully, you know, you learn a trade and maybe as you grow up, maybe one of your kids someday will make the cut and you can become a disciple of a rabbi. That was Jewish culture. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he starts picking ordinary people from out of nowhere. And you're like, what is he doing? He's not trying to find the elite climbers or the people that would make up a great team to ascend a mountain together. He would just pick up those who his heart chose to call upon. And they may not have had anything in particular going for them. We have um, a lot to to gather and to learn. I think I'm stuck there. We have a lot to gather and to learn, friends, in this journey of a few five weeks here concerning the pathway of disciple making. But I want you to know up front that everyone... In this room, Jesus is pursuing to be a disciple of his. Have you felt the call of God in your life? To be his disciple. I'm not talking about, hey, you're just sort of checking church off the, oh, I did a good thing this week. Or, hey, I helped a few people out. Hey, I went to youth group. Those kinds of things. Or I stayed clear from a bunch of sins. No, no, no. That gets all caught up in the religion side. What Jesus did was Jesus went out and he picked disciples to come follow him. And those disciples, the first thing that they got a hold of was that they were called by Jesus. They were called by Jesus. And this is some of my concern today. Because I think we have a problem with American Christianity. And this is the problem. We do not understand this statement. This statement says this. Your calling to be a disciple is not based on a decision you make about Jesus but an invitation Jesus makes to you. Let me read that again. Your calling to be a disciple is not based on a decision you make about Jesus, but an invitation Jesus makes to you. And this is a big problem to me because I see people who dabble in born-again Christianity for a while. We'll dabble with whatever sect of the faith, you know, Christian faith even. And that is like, you know, I think I'm going to... I'm going to do something else. We think that our whole faith is based upon our decision-making process, and we've never come to a place of understanding that our Christian life, or if you're not a Christian today and you're checking God out, which is pretty cool, i am glad you're here, that this whole deal, this adventure, this thing of putting on the backpack and having an adventure in life, in this life and the life to come, is about what Jesus is doing and not what you're doing. He will take people who have messed up every single day of their life since they were born. And he will pick them. And he'll say what he said to those disciples in that day. Come follow me. Come and see. Have you ever had a personal experience of thinking that God has called you and picked you? I can go back to my youth days. When I was 15 years old, I had a huge encounter with God. It was in a service, actually, and thereafter in a youth group that I had some attention with. And it's like, Jesus, this is, this is beyond me. This isn't about getting the right thinking and theology in my head and making the right practices. This is really <laughs> this, is, this is personal. And you have showed up in my life. And you're picking me. Pierce is down here nodding his head. I'll pick on you a little bit. I remember I think I walked up to you a few months ago. And I said, Pierce, the hound of heaven is on your trail. <laughs> the hound of heaven is on everyone's trail. Jesus desires for you to put on the backpack and be on a journey with him. Chuck religion, Chuck church, Chuck youth group even. If you want, if I can sing, I say that, Joe, I don't really mean it. You know what I'm saying? It's not about all the apparatus and the systems and the structures and the buildings. This is personal. And when you get a hold of that, like Jesus got a hold of me, your life trajectory changes. Now, it's not easy. Scaling the mountain is not easy. And you never know what's going to happen on the adventure. But I tell you what, I want to be on the team. I want to have the adventure. I want us to look at some Scripture in a second. This first Scripture here. Supports this. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Who does that say? Pick the team. Did you pick it? No. Jesus picked it. There's another verse. It says this later also in John. John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. The hound of heaven on your trail. And I will raise them up at the last day. This is not about you. It didn't start with you. It starts with God, the God who created you, who created this world. And then he chose to come and to redeem you, to change you, to do the rescue, the search and rescue operation. And he comes personally to you and he says, load up, put the backpack on You're part of the team. We're heading out. This is going to be a journey. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is that your identity or are you just a church goat? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or are you just a person that's trying to do good and and be right? Shift your thinking, your paradigm. Move to what it means to be a disciple underneath the greatest eternal rabbi that there ever was. And everyone in this room has the opportunity to be picked. No matter what age you are, no matter what season of life you are, no matter how broken you are or how well put together you might think you are. Jesus is picking people. And what I'd like to do is I would like to look at the Scripture of when Jesus picked people and how He did it. We talk about the disciples, but there's four passages in Scripture predominantly that talk about Jesus calling His disciples, and the first is found in John. And you need to understand what's going on here. If you can take your back... So back to the New Testament times, all right, there was a lot of uh, religious stuff going on. there. There were rabbis. There was also a guy walking around called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a unique bird. In fact, he was calling disciples. But John the Baptist's disciples were a little bit different than the Pharisaical disciples or the disciples of the Mosaic Law because he was getting them ready for the Messiah. And so he was calling them to be radical in their commitment. And so he had some followers of his own. Disciples, if you will, of John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist, he, he declared when he saw Jesus one time, he, he says, oh, there he is, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy untie. This is the one, this is the Messiah. He pointed him out. And so they were listening and watching, those who were followers around John the Baptist, those just sort of hanging out in the community go, that guy is really weird how he dresses, what he eats and everything. And so we find this in John chapter 1. And I will read in verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples as Jesus walked by John. John looked at him and then declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. Now, you need to know this. This is a pretty big deal. John the Baptist was called by God to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. He was prophesied. he was the Elijah, if you will. And he called out and he would say, make straight the way of the Lord. And what he was doing was he was calling people to repentance. You see, in that day, the way means road. Make ready the road. And they would make ready roads. I mean they didn't have nice paved roads like we have necessarily, so they had potholes and problems, and the dignitaries that would come into town were supposed to come into town on a nice, pot-free kind of road. And so when John the Baptist said, "Hey, prepare the way of the Lord," he was not saying, "Hey, get the road, physical road ready," but he was saying, "Get it your heart's right, get your culture right, because the Messiah, the king of kings, the Lord of Lords, he's coming." So he would declare. Behold, make straight the way of the Lord. He was preparing the way. He was telling people. He was calling them into repentance because the Messiah was coming. And so anybody that was around John that was hanging out with him, they knew what John was about. He was preaching repentance in preparation for the Messiah. So verse 37, then John's two disciples turned and followed Jesus. So he had a couple guys with him. And Jesus walks by He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's like, hey, okay, that's, that's who you've been pointing out. We're going to follow him. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And then catch these words. He says, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place and they stayed there the rest of the day. Now, who were the two guys? Well, one's was named Andrew Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who had heard what John had said and then followed Jesus the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah which means Christ then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus looking intently at Simon Jesus said you are Simon the son of John but you will be called Cephas which means Peter Jesus changes his name Simon's name Cephas is um, Aramaic. Peter was the Greek. And if you change somebody's name, that meant you sort of had control over them. And, and, uh, and, and Simon Peter, he had no problems with that. This is cold turkey. Jesus just shows up and he picks, hey, why don't you get, come up here? Come up here and put the backpack on. Let's go on this journey. Was that cold turkey? Not really. Because they had been around John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had what? He'd been preaching prepare the way of the Lord. So they had some cultural context, some his, uh, historical and spiritual context about the Messiah. And when the Messiah came and called, and John's given reference, this is the guy. Then Andrew, who goes finds his brother, Peter, back in their hometown and says, hey, Peter, come. The two of them go to Jesus, and Jesus immediately calls them in. Come and see. Come and see. Come check me out. Come follow me. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, be my disciple. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. They just picked people they sort of knew, huh? Philip went off to look for Nathaniel and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, son of Nazareth from Nazareth. Son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. My goodness, can anything good come out of that school? Anything good from that town? Just come and see for yourself, Philip said. As they approached, Jesus said, "Here comes an honest man, a true son of Israel. How do you know me?" Nathaniel asked, And Jesus replied, "I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you." Oh my goodness." Nathaniel replied, Teacher, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked him, Do you believe all this because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, The truth is for you. You will see the heaven open and the angels of God coming and going upon the Son of Man. Now here's the deal. There seems to be incongruent accounts in the Gospels concerning following Jesus and becoming a disciple. What we just read for you was John 1, 35 through 51. What happened here was Jesus telling some people who had spiritual connection through John the Baptist to come and see, to come check him out. But if we go to Matthew four eighteen, we find a different account. And sometimes maybe you've had challenges in reconciling. Why would these two accounts be different? Let's read Matthew four eighteen through 22. It's also cross-referenced in the same in Mark 1, 14 through 20. It says this, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who, called, who also called, was called Peter, and Andrew. Peter and Andrew fishing, right? Fishing with a net, for they were commercial fishermen. Jesus called out to them, Come, be my disciples, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and went with him. A little further up the shore, they saw two other brothers. They were sort of their partners in uh, business, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind with, with the hired hands. This seems to be different than the other account that I just read. So what's going on? Most likely, this is a scenario. In this particular moment, when Jesus called Peter and Andrew, James and John, to come follow him and, and be fishers of men, they already knew who Jesus was. You see, the first account in John, John the Baptist is still alive. But if you read right before this, John the Baptist has been killed. He was martyred. And so the account in Matthew seems to be after John the Baptist's death, where the one in John was before John the Baptist's death. So apparently Jesus was just sort of starting to make his ministry known. He was out and around the community. John the Baptist said he's the one. And he says, let me introduce you to here's Peter and Andrew. And then we have Philip and Nathaniel. Alright, we have the whole story there in John 1. So they got acclimated to Jesus. But then Jesus moved. He moved from the Nazareth. He moved to the Galilee area. And when he was in the Galilee area, he comes down along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these guys that he's known before. He told them earlier to come and see, come check him out. But now he does something strategically different. If you'll notice what it's saying there, he says, come be my disciples, and I will show you how to fish for people. He says, you're fishermen for fish. Come follow me. Put your backpack on. We're going to go on a journey, and I'm going to give you another job. And so what they began to do then was follow Jesus more intently than what happened in the John account. And so here's John doing some broad-based, I mean, the account there in John, some broad-based appeal of Jesus, come follow me, come check me out. But then he starts the window down to say, these guys are serious and they've been hanging with me. And, and, yeah, they'll come and go. They're still involved in their profession. You know, they're, they're engineers, they're nurses, you know, they're shopkeepers, they're businessmen, all right, they're salespeople. And he says, i want to let you know something. There's something else you can do besides just doing that. You keep doing that. He didn't tell them to stop fishing uh, in this particular place. He said, come and I'll make you fishers of men. He enrolled them deeper into his school of discipleship. So instead of saying, come and see, what we find here is a simple straight on, follow me. Follow me. And then the other account that's listed here is Luke 5. Turn to Luke 5 and Luke 5 says this. Now this is a different kind of account too. And you're going to like, how do these accounts all line up? They don't seem to make sense. Well, I tell you what, they happen at different times. That's why. So in Luke chapter 5, we have Jesus uh, with the first disciples And this is the story. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out from the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. You got the picture? See of Galilee, the area, they're fishing. Ooh, a little overwhelmed. A lot of people here. I need to get back away from them, be able to speak to them. So he gets in Simon Peter's boat. And when he walked up to Simon, he was, hey, buddy, I'm going to steal your boat. That wasn't it. He knew Simon. So he says, hey, I'm going to get in your boat. Let's go out. A little bit of difference, distance. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper, And let down your nets, and you'll catch many fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night, man. Dude, don't make us do this. And we didn't catch a single thing. But if you say so, we'll try again. And this time their nets were so full, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Partners probably, right? Uh, James and John, right? When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees Before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. He was dumbfounded. He was struck by the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ. They worked all night, not one single fish. And now their boats were filled with fish. What was going on here? Jesus trying to teach them something, but what Jesus was also calling them. For he was awestruck by the size of their catch, as were the others. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And then you've got to catch this, friends. Last part of verse 10. Jesus replied to Simon. Listen to this. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. From now on. I think before they were part-time followers and part-time fishermen. What Jesus did here in the Luke 5 account, he says, all right, you're done with that. You're now going to be full-time fishing for people. Search and rescue, it's on. And so they left. And I think one of the reasons Jesus gave them so many fish, what do you think, what all those fish? He was trying to tell them that it's going to be okay. Your family's going to be okay. There's going to be provision provided. And, and they just didn't leave the fish there to rot on the shore. They took off and went with Jesus, some of us think, right? But they, they took the fish. They had their family get the fish ready so they had a good store. They, maybe they, they sold some of the fish so there was monetary means. You know, it wasn't some blind, something like, duh, okay, where are we going, Jesus? No, there was this gradual calling. He first said what? You come and see. Some of you here this morning are in that Please, will you come and see Jesus? Seriously investigate Him. Don't dabble in it. Study God's Word. Be around some people that know Jesus and come and see this One who is calling you and whispering your name. Others of us, we do pretty good. We've made a profession of faith, Jesus, but we've never really moved away from our own agendas and we got them. The world gives them to us. This is what success is. And so we'll say, all right, I'll be a part-time this, part-time that. I remember that was true in my life. come from a family farm. I enjoy family farm. But I remember the day Jesus came to me and he says, all right, what about following me? And I said, sure. And for two years, he allowed me to think I'm going to be a part-time farm kid with my brothers on this great big farm corporation. And, and I'm going to be a part-time youth pastor. That was in my head. For two years. Now, for me, some things change. It may not necessarily be for you vocationally. But what happens And Jesus comes and he speaks to you later on, and maybe the same time, I don't know, but there's this conviction that says, all right, from now on, this is no longer a part-time deal. Now, it may reference vocationally, but I don't think it's vocationally as much as where's your heart at? What is your agenda? What are you pursuing? What do you think is success in your life? Have you moved with Jesus to the point of saying, not just come and see and just follow me, but saying from now on, from now on, this is the deal. From now on, I'm going to take the backpack and we're going. I didn't want to give God complete control of my life. Why? Why? he would make me be a missionary and I didn't want to be a missionary in some foreign land. I'd set through church services. I heard enough missionaries. And I did not want to give him choice over who I would marry because he'd make me marry somebody that wanted to be a missionary and they didn't ever, you know, (laughs) seem to be all that great to me. But I said, I'm done. I'll lose my nets. Have you left your nets? What is holding you on to the full abandonment to follow Jesus? Come and see. Come, follow me. From now on, I I'm going to make you fishers of men. Remember what happened after Jesus died? They were devastated. Where'd Peter go? He went back to fishing. He probably didn't sell his gear. He probably gave it to somebody else for a while, but he said, I'm done with that. The discipleship of Jesus centers fully upon the person of Jesus Christ. Buddha was once asked by his followers, how should we remember you when you die? And Buddha said, don't bother with it. Just remember my teaching. That's not the discipleship of Jesus. The discipleship of Jesus was come to me. We are called by Jesus. We are also called to Jesus. We don't have time to get into that today. But I want you to know this. Jesus is asking you. If you're willing to leave, whatever it may be, it may not be a vocational thing. I'm not saying that this morning. But there's things we hold on to that says, My way. And Jesus says, Come to me. You know, there's another calling of an individual right after this Luke passage, and it's in Luke 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Levi was also referenced as Matthew. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, he left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and tax collectors, they were looked down upon big time. And other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees, the religious elite, came in. And their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. You see what it says? They said to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have to come to call sinners to turn from their sins, not to spend my time with those who think they are already good enough Jesus was a radical rabbi calling people into a radical discipleship and that calling is not only for then it's for today Jesus also called Paul you can read it on your own. But this is where I want to land this morning is on this next slide. The next slide there, please. You are called by Jesus. You are chosen and redeemed. You are called then to Jesus. Your identity and your intimacy is a tie to him. The next couple of weeks, we're going to look at you're called to obey. You're called to then to community. But this is what I want to position before you. Your calling to be disciple is not based on a decision you make about Jesus, but an invitation Jesus makes to you. Three questions for you this morning. Number one, will you respond to Jesus in the come and see? Maybe you came to church just checking things out for the first time. It starts there. Come and see. Maybe you've been checking him out or maybe you're, a Christian. You made a profession of faith. Here's my question to you Will you answer the call of Jesus to follow me? And then for some of us, it's even getting more and more radical at this stage in your life. Will you follow Jesus from now on? He's calling you to leave something to turn towards Him. Friends, I want you to know this series is born out of the very core of my being. at an elder and staff meeting with spouses on Friday and we we're talking about some things it has to do with our next series after this. But I was reminded when I first came here four years ago um, that I said, I don't want to come and play church. There's a lot of other better things I could do maybe with my life than be in full-time vocational ministry But I have no choice I was called, and this is what Jesus has called me to, and he's called me not to stand up in here and give nice little talks and encourage us to sing nice little songs and have nice programs. He has called me to call you into radical discipleship, and we will be a church of followers of the one true Jesus as he teaches. I hope you come back. I'm not beating you up this morning. I'm showing you the way of eternal life. 2,000 years, he's still doing the same thing. Through his spirit, he's showing up on the roads and the highways, the pathways, the streets of Temecula and Marietta, and he's asking you to come and see. Come follow me, and from now on. This is one of the main ways you can respond to this this morning. Radically realign your life with your time and your devotion to know Him. Some of you in this room need to be in what we call the 10 week journey of rooted. Rooted is not about us just going through a nice workbook, having nice little small group meetings. It's about you becoming a disciple of Jesus. Will you take that insert? Will you sign on the line? Will you come on September the 13th, even to come and see? Check it out the first time. If you don't come back, that's cool. You're still my friend. Still glad you're part of the church. But maybe that's the obedient step. I've told you what you, I want you to know this morning. That God is calling you through Jesus to be his disciple. Now I'm telling you what to do. Take a step. Take a step. Come along with a team of people. Scale a mountain. Let's see what God can do for you. Take that insert. Fill it out. Many people in this church, their lives have been changed by it. Next week I'm going to interview one. But I want you to maybe, can I say this? Stop playing playing church yourself too and get into a discipleship relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're in a rescue operation. And He wants to rescue your life, redeem your life, give you a new identity, bring you into intimacy with Him, and lead you on a journey of world-changing discipleship. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray in this moment that you would just encourage the hearts and lives of each one of us in here as you've encouraged my heart as I've gone back to this fresh truth this week. Lord, may we not dabble, but may we be sincere. May we be awestruck by your calling. You picked common, ordinary people.